Today's episode of the Press Box on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A., and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants and business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate, please. We're trying to raise $250,000, and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our heroes emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer here. This is the Press Box, and we got a lot of great stuff to get to today. We'll talk about the existential crisis of CNN host Chris Cuomo. We'll answer your listener mail, including the question, are journalists eating healthier now that they're no longer on the road? Plus, David guesses a strain pun headline and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, let's begin with something we've heard Donald Trump talk about day after day after day during our time of quarantine. That is reopening the economy. Yesterday in Michigan, we saw more than 3,000 protesters complete with Confederate flag because, of course, at the Capitol there. Listen to this protester explain to WOD in Grand Rapids why he was at the rally. Are you concerned about this virus? I was in the beginning until I've done my research and found out the realities and the 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 media's overreach on it and uh that it's not as serious as they made it out to be and that's why i am here because i feel that they are overreaching overreacting and uh crushing our small businesses crushing our economy i see you're wearing a mask so you appear to have some level of concern yeah I wish that didn't uh, sound a little bit too much like something I've heard from very close friends and family members uh, without naming any names. It is an unnerving reality. Um, And I think you could probably draw a big picture. I mean, expand this out to the entire Trump presidency and the entire age we live in that our own sort of selfishness and in this case, stir craziness leads our minds to believe just about anything we wanted to believe. Uh, The crackpots sound really, really compelling when you're tired of sitting in the same room as your mother-in-law for the third week in a row. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, it's really disappointing. It's also really interesting how those were identified. All those rallies were identified Trump supporters, right? There's a lot of people out and make America great again hats at these rallies. And I couldn't help but be reminded of the sort of all the thing, all the time we spent talking about the sort of dog whistle politics of the presidential election four years ago of Trump just sort of, he didn't have to say anything racist, but for the white supremacists to have this like implicit understanding that he was on their side, or at least that was their percep- perception, even if it wasn't true from Trump's side. Now there seems to be this sort of like growing understanding that Trump doesn't, Trump wants the economy open so badly, and clearly he does. Uh, but like that everything that we're doing to, to stop the virus is no matter what Trump says and, and, and no matter what he agrees to in terms of stay at home orders and blah, 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 
that he's implicitly opposed to all of it. And the best thing you can do to back him up as a Trump supporter is to violate the law. Yes. And it's um, maybe that's obvious, but just looking at, I mean, if you kind of take a step back and look at it, it's like, it's, is it impossible to wrap your mind around the idea that, yeah, nobody wants everything to be closed down. However, uh, you know, we all know that this is best. We're willing to listen to the experts. No, if you want, if, if you want to back up Trump, according to apparently these people who are out there, the best thing you can do is just start lighting torches. It's part of our political system where internet trolling, pro-Trumpism, blind pro-Trumpism, and just general rabble-rousing all comes together, right? And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really make any sense, you know, to, to do this. I mean, and, and to your point about this itself being a public health, a potential public health crisis, the protest being one. That's what Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer said yesterday. She's got this stay-at-home order in Michigan until April 30th. She said yesterday, I saw someone handing out candy to little kids barehanded at the protest. People are flying the Confederate flag and untold numbers who gassed up on the way here grabbed a bite on the way home. We know that this rally endangered people. This kind of activity will put more people at risk. And sadly, it could prolong the amount of time we have to stay in this posture. Right. So you want the stay-at-home order to end. And in order to do that, you violate the stay-at-home order, which will then potentially prolong. That, that's what happened yesterday in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nonsense. I mean, I can't even, like, my mind goes in 10 different directions, but, like, all of them lead back to, like, an excuse that one of my children makes to stay awake longer at night or to, you know, to, to get what they want, which I'm just, I just shake my head. I'm like, you have to know that this isn't the best way to get there. Um, <laughs> if you were trying to convince me yeah. of your bad plan, <laughs> yeah. this, this would be the worst possible way to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, this is, there's so much about the world that we live in, uh, in this moment that is unbelievable. Uh, I keep coming back to just like the sort of res- resiliency of humanity that if you had told any of us three months ago that we would be, confined to our homes for weeks or months and that we would all just kind of figure out a way to make that happen. Um, I, I, no one would have believed it. I mean, honestly, if you had told me how long I was going to be, you know, away from home at the moment that I left, I might've had some excuses to stay, you know, I mean, it, it like, but, it, but everything's great now. I'm happy that I'm away. I'm happy that I'm here. It's just like, we're very resilient. It's uh, if you had told me though, if you had told me two weeks ago or even a week ago that there would be masses of, Donald Trump protesters out rallying against stay-at-home orders, I would have said that was too silly to be true. And yet here we are. And here we are. By the way, on the subject of the Confederate flag inevitably appearing at this rally in Michigan, Mm -hmm. which is probably not having the Confederate monuments crisis that several other states in the country are, at least in the same degree. Um, I just remember, you know, when I was a young cub reporter, I'd cover like a Bush v. Gore protest or an Iraq war protest. And mm-hmm. there would inevitably be at this liberal protest, like a free Mumia sign, you know, yeah. like, wait, are we, are we doing everything today? You know, yes. it's like, is this, is this just everything came together? But the conservative version of this is, is so much stranger. Is there not anybody, is there not a leader of the protest yesterday who can be like, okay, can we just leave the stars and bars at home today? Maybe it's just a, <laughs> Let's focus here. We're not, we're not we're not doing Confederate nostalgia today. We're doing we're doing reopen the government. Nobody can say that's probably not a 
these these are not the same thing but i guess yeah these are, pro- these are probably people that show up uh and realize they forgot to bring a sign they look around everybody else has a sign they're like shit well what do i have in my trunk you know i mean they got they have something to bring <laughs> but seriously it's it's an identity thing and i think it's an identity thing increasingly more i mean maybe i'm sure this has been discussed and written about ad nauseum but even more so in the in the north than it is in the south um there's a you know i mean i i spend a lot of time in sort of blue collar pennsylvania and there's Confederate flag, flags just flying on front porches. There's a weird coincidence of or, or incidence of, of uh, the Confederate flag seems to always be flying on the houses that have no trespassing signs in the windows that you would never have any interest in trespassing. You know, it's just like the, like the, like the scummiest house in the neighborhood has a, a hilariously unnecessary no trespassing sign, and then next to it will be either "Don't tread on me" or "The Stars and Bars." It's a you know, it's it's an unfortunate coincidence, an unfortunate turn, uh, series of events. But uh, but you're right. I mean, it, it doesn't help anybody's cause to be waving that thing around. David was uh, going to diners in rural Pennsylvania before going to diners in rural Pennsylvania was cool. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, David, we know Trump's strategy for winning in November was built on having a roaring economy. Mm-hmm. Well, counting this morning's job numbers, 22 million Americans have claimed unemployment now over the last four weeks. So Trump wants everybody to go back to work, or a lot of people to go back to work. He set May 2nd as a target date. But there are problems with that, right? Uh, Despite Trump's claims at his press conference yesterday, we don't have enough coronavirus tests. The New York Times said that although capacity has improved in recent weeks, supply shortages remain crippling, and many regions are still restricting tests to people who meet specific criteria antibody tests, which reveal whether someone has ever been infected with the coronavirus, are just starting to be rolled out, and most have not been vetted by the FDA. Um, There's also this sense that you hear from the Trump administration that we can somehow do this nationally, right? Now, he's flip-flopped on this. I can, he said earlier this week, I can compel states to kind of reopen, right? That was that total authority moment. The next Mm -hmm. day, he was out in the Rose Garden saying, actually, I can't do that. The states are going to all open when they want to. And now we've seen as this part of this bizarre experiment in federalism, states banding together <laughs> as these like subgroups of Marvel superheroes mm-hmm. to try to do stuff in spite of the Trump. There's this East Coast coalition. Doesn't this all sound like escape from New York or some post-apocalyptic thing? Yes. This East Coast group of states, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, et cetera. They're working together on the West Coast out here. It's California, Oregon, and Washington. And the idea is the feds don't know what they're doing, but we like-minded little states in this cluster will have a better idea about when and if we should open our economy. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like a reverse walkout. It's like you have to have you have to plan so that because one person walking out of a you know of your workplace means that one person gets fired or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's you band together in the name of protest. But also in, in this in this case, it's you know, it's functional decision-making, right? If nobody trusts the way the decision-making is happening, um, yeah, you got to have these little super friends team-ups to like to make it seem like you're not just any, I guess any one person can be painted as an enemy of Trump, right? Yes. Uh, it, take, it, and, takes a co- it takes a coalition to try to, you know, combat that perception. There was a great quote in the Washington Post, I think that really gets at this idea of reopening the economy and the way mm-hmm. the administration is thinking about this. The speaker, who was anonymous, is an administration official, and the, the official is talking about people inside the White House who want the government to open up. The official says, quote, they already know what they want to do, and they're looking for ways to do it. 
they think it's time to reopen because some thought it was never time to close. And they've made that up in their minds. That's a really key idea here, right? You're dealing with people who did not think we should have taken these steps to begin with, do not think the economy should have closed down. So when we're saying, wow, you, you seem like you're recklessly trying to reopen the economy, they recklessly didn't want to close the economy. Uh, they were happy to leave it up to the individual states to do that, right? Including yeah, states I like mean, South Dakota, who we know where we now see outbreaks in. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no. I mean, and who knows what the actual se- sequence of events that led us to the closures, to the stay-at-home orders, and to everything, all of the actual, you know, uh, reasonable, cautious stuff that Trump has said uh, over the past couple m- month or so. But, I mean, for a man that cares so little about presidents, about about norms, about about you know, business as usual in the government about, you know, the separation of powers. I mean, what a fucking baby to be sitting there and crying about like a decision his own administration made in the, you know, I mean, it's not like somebody like put out a law and he was like, oh shit, you got to it before me. You know, I mean, it was, it wasn't like someone else is, is giving these two hour press conferences every night. You know, he's proven before that the things he says out loud in press conferences can pass for, you know, can pass as like a government, a government edict. You know, I mean, it's all he has to do is change it. And he, but he knows it's not good enough. He's just, he knows that decisions to stay at home, to, I mean, to, to have business shut down. He knows that they're right. He's just, I guarantee he's just justified it as being someone else's, someone else's call so that he can complain about it to himself. Well, his two solutions seem to be give another press conference and say potentially wildly contradictory things. Number one, or number two, form a group, form a panel of some sort. Like Jared Kushner has a panel. Right. This week, we saw the formation of more panels. And I'm actually a little bit confused (laughs) about what these are, even after reading the articles. I believe there is a a blanket name called the Great American Economic Revival Industry Groups, (laughs) which is which is really again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Great American Economic Revival Industry Groups. That is not an acronym as far as I can tell. A Yarig? I don't think so. I think that's just a really long name. That sounds um, like a that sounds like a chapter in your like AP U.S. history textbook that you just definitely didn't want to read. <laughs> I'm going to skip right right on over that. On Monday, some administration officials gave Trump a list of executives who could possibly be on one of these panels. There was one problem, reports the Washington Post. These executives quote have not yet been formally notified that they could serve in an advisory role. The Post would later report the debate this week has been over how to implement the return to work, what data could be used to justify the decision, and how to build public support for it to provide the president maximum political cover. So wait, some multi-millionaire CEO is going to give Trump political cover for this controversial and potentially deadly plan to return to work, but then you did not bother to tell the CEO that they were going to be doing this. On Wednesday, this all came to a head. Per the New York Times, Pfizer was blindsided by its inclusion in the group, receiving a heads up that Mr. Trump might mention the company an hour before the announcement. A lobbyist tells the Washington Post, and this will resonate with anyone trying to do a podcast during these times, we got a note about a conference call, like you'd get an invite to a Zoom thing, a few lines in an email, and that was it. Then our CEO heard his name in the Rose Garden. What the expletive. My company is furious. Oh, my God. So that's how that came together. Uh, Then, as Jonathan Chait points out in his column in New York Magazine, and I cribbed a bunch of links from him for this uh, segment, 
when those executives finally got on a conference call with Trump, I guess this Zoom meeting, what did they encourage him to do? They encouraged him to do mass testing. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't say, oh, no, 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 reopen the economy. They said, no, 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 we want you to do mass testing. That's what we need to get back to work in America. That's the, the prerequisite. So just think about how this all went around. Trump rallies a bunch of CEOs whom he hopes will give him cover to send America back to work. And the CEOs say, no, 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 we, we just want you to do what the scientists say you should have been doing this whole time, which is ramp up testing. I mean, that's where we are. It's it, it's and again, we're way past our, our discussions of, you know, Trump being tossed an overhand pitch right over home plate and just like deciding, you know, to whatever, drop trial instead of swing the bat. But like this is like asking for more, like like insisting on more testing. Like this isn't. It, this isn't like mutually exclusive from a from a move towards reopening the economy. It's a it's a it's a measure in that direction, and it would be really easy for him to at least just say it out loud, even if he didn't fucking mean it. But no, I mean he's just like whatever for whatever reason, his the only path forward to him is kind of you know plug my ears and close my eyes and wish everything back to the way it was. It's very strange. Chris sent us a picture uh, from Columbus, Ohio. I'm sure you saw this of the protesters sort of smashed against the walls, uh, the windows oh, yeah. of the state house there. Uh, densely packed crowd. Everybody looks angry. Uh, some really good Twitter jokes. Uh, the Walking Dead season 2020. Uh, the other one was 28 business days later. Uh, <laughs> which brings us, David, to the overworked Twitter joke, where wow. we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod, where they are always gratefully received. We got this from Gary Dixon. Uh, as a kind of starter, he says, as the arbiters of overworks, are you guys able to put out a decree banning X in the time of coronavirus tweets and headlines? <laughs> I feel like we've all suffered enough from that one. And full disclosure here, guilty of it myself. I don't know. I mean, you you and I, uh, I'm not going to name any other names, but we've discussed offline the sort of prevalence of of. Uh, you know, fill in the TK, 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 and then came coronavirus headlines. Yeah, the judo um, chop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was I, a doctor. He was a doctor who saved lives. Then came coronavirus. Yeah, exactly. He had a great idea to to group source trash pickup, and then came coronavirus. The uh, blank in the time of coronavirus is a welcome reprieve to some of the stuff we're seeing out there. I got to tell you, at least, at least your mind is taken away to a, to a you know, you know, wonderful literary uh, landscape and not just this crazy world that we live in. But anyway, I, I, I think it's fine. We can dec we can ban that, too. We can ban that. It's it is time to socially distance from that headline. David, uh, on Wednesday, John Carl, CNN White House correspondent and author of a new book, was at Donald Trump's news conference in the Rose Garden. He tweeted, yikes, a rat just scurried by on the steps behind the president. A rat. <laughs> it was an overworked Twitter joke to write The Departed 2006. That was, uh, you remember, <laughs> at the end of the movie. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Trump uh, named part of his counsel to reopen America. We know Trump likes to leave policymaking to the moguls. Did you see the bit where it had a Fox News graphic of who was on this council? And then the people were Uncle Pennybags uh, from Monopoly, <laughs> yes. Scrooge McDuck. Arthur Slugworth, who I'd forgotten about, and Richie Rich. Thanks to Ken Barrett for bringing our attention to that one. And finally, David, a sad story out of Hollywood. After two seasons, CBS has canceled the show God Friended Me. Oh, God Friended God. Me. I'm sure that was 
high on your uh, cue there. A lot of good lines about that. God unfriended me. Uh, God blocked and reported me. And my personal favorite, God turned out to be a Russian bot. <laughs> if you improve significantly on the concept of God friended me, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. We've got the notebook dump coming up, David. But before that, let's take a quick break. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jamel Hill. And I'm Van Lathan. We're proud to introduce our new podcast, The Wire, Way Down in the Hole. We're going to recap, break down, and analyze every episode of the iconic HBO hit series, The Wire, starting from the beginning with season one. First episodes hit you on April 15th. Now, every podcast episode will include recaps, signature moments, foreshadowing, key character deep dives, little-known facts, and also awards, such as We Love This Show, but the Stringer Bell Fuckboy Award, my personal favorite, who won the episode, and more. So subscribe to The Wire way down in the hole on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you in West Baltimore on April 15th. Okay, in the notebook dump, David, against my better judgment, I want to talk about Chris Cuomo. Yeah. He had this moment on the radio the other day that we're going to play for you. Was it performance art? Was it a little bit indulgent? Yeah. But much like the Dan Lebitard crisis of conscience we talked about last summer. Remember when he was responding to a Trump outrage on ESPN radio? We know that a genuine crisis often makes a media member ask, what am I doing with my life? So let's listen yeah. to Cuomo and talk about what he's saying about cable news. I don't like what I do professionally, I've decided. Um, I like doing this show. I like talking to you guys. But I don't value indulging irrationality, hyperpartisanship. I don't think it's worth my time anymore. Uh, why? Because I don't want to spend my time trafficking in things that I think are ridiculous. I don't want to spend my time on television talking to Democrats about things that I don't really believe they mean. And I don't want to spend my time talking to Republicans about them parroting things that they feel they have to say. And analyzing a president's who we all know is full of shit most of the time by design. Wow. My first reaction to this is, is that he, I can't imagine a, a, a more spot on critique of our, of the, uh, <laughs> of the television, uh, television, political news, industrial machine. Kind of um, gives the game away, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's something that we all say, but I, I think that, if you've watched Chris Cuomo over the past couple of weeks, and I have to admit, uh, I have watched a little bit, you could see the existential crisis coming. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, he was sitting in his basement, which is so pristine. It looks like a painting, you know, like a, a Hollywood set of a basement or like a, a green screen basement sitting behind him, where day after day he kind of goes deeper into kind of the reality of coronavirus and the implicit, you know, sadness and, and tragedy that's, that's tied to it. You had to wonder also watching him why he was still doing it, right? I mean, there's a sort of like propulsion that keeps us all going in this day and age. But for everybody that we see on TV, I mean, obviously we got to fill up, the, we got to fill it up. But if you're, I mean, he's, he's suffering, he is in, un, he has coronavirus, right? He has COVID-19. Um, and it, the decision was made between him and the bosses at CNN to keep going. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but 
I wondered to what degree it was discussed, like what the other options were, you know, because um, it does feel a little bit like despite everything he's saying now, having him continue on is, a, I mean, if anyone else is involved in the decision is like stunt casting, right? Or stunt booking, you know, I mean, you're just like, hey, this guy actually has a disease and he's in his basement right now with a, you know, the medicine sitting next to him or whatever. I mean, it's just it, it's it's there's a, there's a lot there. But to what he actually said, um. I'm sure that there are a lot of people on uh, who who have similar jobs to him that are like, yes, we've been com- we've been thinking this or we've been complaining about this behind the scenes for years. Um, I'm not sure that it's going to make a lot of difference to the, what we see on you know our big news channels on a nightly basis. Yeah, I mean, I, I so a couple of things you're right about. I, I didn't even think about the fact that you know he had he is recovering from coronavirus, so naturally your mind goes to different places right you're recovering from and by the way he specifically said just the other day that he believes there is a mental component to coronavirus that the that Mm -hmm. the sort of depression that he's going through i mean that he that he's feeling or not i mean not not clinically depression obviously but this his mind is is suffering as well so again you can see it coming yeah and then i think i think the other thing he's touching on there as you point out is about the artifice of cable news right Mm -hmm. Even if you style yourself as a huge, big, booming truth teller like Chris Cuomo, your job is essentially bringing on Republicans who are going to lie on the air and you have to yell at them. Mm-hmm. Bringing out Democrats who, let's say in this in the, in this world, they're not lying in quite the same way or they're not as you know, they have fealty to a leader like Trump in quite the same way. But how much are you really accomplishing there? Right. That's hit in his show is trying desperately to not be partisan right so he has to be this guy who's bringing all kinds of people on and often getting mad at them and he is in that clip wondering like is this a good use of my time or really anybody's time good question right yeah (laughs) like really good question and one that you know we've seen cable news try to approach from different ways msnbc has tried to approach from a way of kind of like okay we're just going to bring kind of like-minded, mostly liberal people on here. Uh, we won't have a lot of like, there won't, you won't hear a lot of really Republican voices, but the idea is you'll probably get more truth onto this, right? Mm-hmm. That's how they've approached that question. It, CNN's approached in a totally different way. They're not trying to be the anti-Trump news network, though they are very skeptical of Trump in a lot of ways. But that's a weird place to be. There's a lot of artifice in that. The other thing I'd say, and this applies to uh, probably a lot of people we know out in the world, at least in sports, is that when you get more and more successful, especially in television, you are required almost always to do dumber and dumber things as part of your job. (laughs) Let's say you're a really smart person who's a writer or a smart person who's a podcast, whatever it is. When you go to TV... It's almost like you have to take 15 miles per hour off your fastball at least, right? Yeah. And you watch, and we've seen this all the time. You watch these people, and we're like, man, I love that person. They're, they're so great at what they do. Oh, they got a promotion. They got a TV show. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you watch a TV show and go, oh, wait, they're not doing what I like about right. <laughs> what I liked about them in the first place. In fact, they're kind of doing the opposite. And I almost detect a little bit of that. Chris Cuomo has climbed to the top of the cable TV mountain and then goes, this is it. This is what I do every day. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think we all, uh, we, we all have witnessed what you experienced. I mean, I, it's hard to, 
I mean, I think, listen, we're, I think we're all sort of, those of us who are fortunate enough to still be employed uh, in, in, in the recession that we're in right now, have probably all spent some time sort of questioning what we're doing, or at least questioning the balance of what we're doing, either work, work-life balance, spending so much more time with our families, a lot of us, or, you know, or the, or the balance within the job itself. When you're, I mean, when you have multiple things going on, you wonder which the things are more important at this moment, and then you start thinking about which the things are more important full stop, you know? And, and you're right. I mean, Chris Cuomo is, occupies a really interesting, you know, place in the media landscape on his own. The first time I saw this, I was just sort of like, I mean, I think my part of my, my first reaction was wondering whether or not this was like a, if he's moving towards politics or something, you know, or he's, he's going to just like go and walk about like, what, what does this mean? <laughs> but I think that the, but I think that the, I think looking at it through that lens is almost just like doing the same thing that he's complaining about doing, right? Not everything is a move towards something else. Not everything is a sort of like calculated, uh, like a calculated venture in this, you know, media landscape. If we, if I had heard this prior to coronavirus, I think I would have thought with hundred percent certainty that he was either quitting or he was like trying to get out of his deal so that he could go work at MSNBC who had already secreted him an offer, you know, but there's, mm -hmm. but I think that to really take what he's talking about, I mean, to really do it justice and to really think deeply about it. I think that we look around, I think we're all thinking these things. You know, I don't think we're, we don't all necessarily have the platform to say it. Not people. Radio shows aren't calling us to talk about it. But no, I've, absolutely not. And by the way, when you when you say go out and be in politics, I think if I'm sort of diving into his head, that's another part of this. Right. We talked mm -hmm. about the Cuomo brother show. Oh, my yeah. brother. He's doing stuff. Right. He's yeah. being an now I'm doing something, too. Not underrating what the media is doing and all this because he's got an important job, too. But look at that. My brother's really doing something. Mm -hmm. Is there something more important I could be doing? Yeah. But I'm, I'm with you to your last point. I'm whenever anybody says anything like this, they get shouted down. They get made fun of. They get reined back in usually by their employer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as you saw, this Cuomo basically went on TV the next day and said, I didn't mean this. I didn't mean it. He had to, of course, because you can't give the game away and then go back on television and be that guy on CNN. Mm -hmm. But I'm but I'm pro doubt. And I think we should when media members step back and say, is this what I should really be doing? Or is this the way I should be doing my job? I think we should encourage that, right? Because I think every one of us could probably, as you say, stand to have that conversation, right? Always yeah. remind ourselves, even if you're not doing anything pernicious or evil or whatever it is, to just say, is this really what I should be doing with my life? Yeah. I mean, that benefits everybody. Yeah. And so much of media is like wrestling where even, you know, and again, there's a ton of sports jobs that apply to this where you just can't, we're somehow admitting that maybe you're not doing the most important thing in the world or you're not doing it in the best way that you possibly can is just like, oh my God, sacrilege, right? Oh, mm -hmm. you can't say that. Yes, you can. And and people should be encouraged to. Totally agree. I mean, this is a very small version of that, but like, you know, we have the luxury of working for a website. We both worked at Grantland before The Ringer, but, but a place that encourages long form writing and deep thinking. And I'd say that like, I have, I mean, this is just a guess, but I bet if you look back through like the greatest hits of The Ringer and the Grantland catalog, about a solid 50% of the, of the best long form pieces came to a point where the writer asked him or herself the question, why am I writing this piece halfway through? Like, what is the purpose yes. of, like, why am I doing this? And wrestling with that sort of question in real time, in very small instances, is, can have wonderful results. But I think, you know, what we're talking about is a sort of, you know, zoomed out a little bit more.
just because you quite just because you're wondering if what you're doing is the best use of your time and the best way you can contribute to the world doesn't mean that you're not doing your job. It probably means you're doing a better job than the person sitting next to you who's like, you know, you know, pushing ahead with blinders on. Let's do a little listener mail as we ponder our own existence here in the media sphere. This one comes from Brandon James Anderson. He writes, can you guys please just riff for like six minutes on the sublimely <laughs> absurd daytime TV ads we are all watching a lot more of oh lately? I just watched Ice T spend over a minute pitching something called Car Shield. Uh, and apparently Ice T said it doesn't take a detective to know we all use our cars. <laughs> that, was the, that was the line. I'm amazed by this because like you used to have to like seek out like Glenn Beck show to find gold ads. Yeah. And that's so weird. But now and I and I don't know if this is a I should probably check on this. But like if you watch those classic games on ESPN, there are a bunch (laughs) of very like low for low grade for ESPN ads appearing in those things. Yeah. Uh, It really uh, reminds me of watching UHF stations in childhood. What is the what is the word for this? I'm totally am blanking on it. What is the word for when you, with the ads that just sort of come out of the slush pile when it's just like you don't have when you haven't sold another ad and then and there's just like a Fox News would always get in trouble or, or advertisers would always get in trouble for something that Bill O'Reilly said and then they would be like, listen, we didn't target Fox News. We just paid like a thousand dollars to have our ad in the slush pile. Um, and then, and whenever they didn't sell an ad, they would just roll one on. But re- regardless, there is a lot of that. And even when a lot it's of not slush pile, huh? There's a lot of slush pile. And even when it's not slush pile, maybe it's even when you when you've seen the same ad two or three times, that's when it really starts hitting home where you're just like, I think I've made this joke before. But like when you're watching MSNBC during the day and you realize that you've seen the same ad for, you know, some medication that specifically targets like 90 plus people, you're just like, this really isn't meant for me. Like, I understand what I'm that whatever I'm watching, like, I'm not the target audience for. Um, uh it's it's really bizarre and it's 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 interesting that the i mean i know that the the you know marketing departments don't aren't flush with cash you know i mean they're, they're, we're all suffering financially i think in this at this point in time but it's inter- it's weird to me that there's not more there hasn't been more of an uptick in in the sorts of ads that we see during those times i mean honestly it's like let's make a deal is the new super bowl i mean everybody's at home watching tv um but yes if you watch tv during the days you see a bunch a bunch of crazy stuff i saw that iced tea commercial and was kind of confused as to what in the world I was watching. It's a, it's a, it's a close second to the Draymond Green's uh, Smile Direct Club commercials that used to run all the time <laughs> with him and his mom. I don't know. It's just like I get entranced trying to do the math of how much money it would take Ice T to do that secure that that commercial, right? And same with Draymond Green. It's like what, how much money does it take to get Draymond Green and his mom to show up to do this commercial? And then you start looking at his salary. You pull out the the pen and paper. It's, it's, it's a, it's fun to think about. Uh, no, from Yale park, are journalists, particularly sports journalists eating healthier now that they're no longer on the road. Also, oh. what's the most unusual thing you've cooked, baked, eaten during quarantine. You and I used to joke all the time. This was a Brian Curtis special about how crazy this is when we were single and young and whatever else about there's nothing more irritating than like the idea of someone like sitting down at the table at Chili's and just being like, do I want dessert? Hey, I'm on vacation, you know, and just sort of like, as if the <laughs> rules are different. Now we're old enough to know the rules actually are sort of different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you, um, that if you don't eat well, at least most of the time you're, you know, going down a bad road, but yeah, I mean, listen, there's, there, there is a, there is a definitely an obscene joy that comes with, walking into a basketball arena and just being like, yes, I'll have one of each, you know, and just, and just you know, indulging yourself on all that crap there because, you know, you're going to be eating like, you know, granola and salads when you get home. Um, 
I think, but, but but worse than what I experience and probably what you experience on the regular are like, we, you know, you hear from our writers about the NFL training camp tours about, you know, when, yeah. when you're on the road, like following a basketball team or like for a story, something like that, you, you end up eating 95% of your meals at whatever drive through is open at the odd hour that you are freed to go back to your hotel. And, uh, and you gotta think that, I mean, you, we experience that on a mic. I mean, I experience that on a micro level when I'm like, you know, when I decide to go to the McDonald's with my kid or whatever, and I'm just like, I'm going to do it up. And then like, I get halfway through the food that I ordered and I'm rolling on the ground. <laughs> it's clear that there's a, sorry about uh, to our sponsor McDonald's. Uh, it's there. It is. It's clear that it makes a difference. I assume everybody's eating much better. Um, although I, I say this, I'm eating way better than I do. And I'm not, I'm not usually on Me the road, too. although, but, but every day I open the freezer and I'm just like, I can't wait till the, till the circumstances get dire enough that we have to heat up those fish sticks. Like that's, that's what I look at. That's what I think every day. <laughs> Chad Orzel writes this. If you could reopen one and only one business right now with a magic guarantee that it would remain virus free, what would it be? I mean, do I have, is this for my own personal pleasure or sure, is it like, why not for society's do, I mean, good? I would do your own. I think, I mean, it would be wonderful if like, you know, if there was like a, like central park in New York could be open and tent free and virus free for all the people that live around it. I mean, so there's some like, you know, greater good question here, but if it's just me, I talked about a bowling alley last week. I mean, it would be really fun to go to a bowling alley. Although the lines are probably long as hell if it was the only one open. God, I don't know. Like the you... Longhorn Steakhouse the other day or something. By the way, want... we got takeout from the Longhorn Steakhouse. The you one indulgence, our family's one indulgence over the past two months was a. Uh, my wife went, I think, with the kids and and uh, just sat in the parking lot while like people in like you know containment suits came out and took your order and then like you know eventually and twenty minutes later walked it out to your car. Um, I miss used bookstores and I worry oh. about used bookstores. Oh yes. Um, I follow like at least one of them on Instagram. They're always, you know, kind of like sadly throwing up pictures mm -hmm. uh, here in Orange County of all this great stuff. And I'm like, man, that is an act I miss, you know, just bookstores in general. Yeah. I mean, just uh, I don't even think that, that, you know, the people younger than us really indulge in this as much as we do. It's it's somewhat a generational thing. But the idea of just spending time out, you know, spending time in a store. Um, yeah, I, I miss that a lot. We'll do a couple of these quickly. Cinema Joe's podcast asked, do you think the layoffs at media companies will be reversed after the pandemic ends or will this further contraction of an industry in decline be permanent? I'll take that one. Yeah. I think it's mostly going to be permanent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially when we think of print jobs, if you have a newspaper that has like 10 people in the sports section and let's say they've downsized during this to seven, do you really believe they're going to come back with 10 people in the sports section when this is when and if this is over? Or is seven going to be the new normal? I think it's going to be seven. You know, I think that a lot of those jobs are going to disappear. Not all of them. You know, when we talk about ESPN or yeah. Disney, you could imagine a, a, you know, a time when, you know, if they, if they wind up, especially ESPN is not downsized officially yet, but if they do that, they could roar back at some point, but writing jobs. No, no, this, yeah. is, this feels permanent to me. I'm inclined to agree with you. I think there'll be some jobs that come back. I definitely I think there are certainly some businesses, especially smaller businesses that are that are dealing with urgent realities. And and we know that, you know, from just recent history that that there's a lot of uh, journalistic outposts, websites, magazines, whatever else that are sort of just on a, getting by month to month. Um, hopefully there I mean, there's some there's some that are that are either going to shut down or be forced to rehire, you know rehire some amount of people but then you look at you look at instances like 
uh, I, I was reading, I don't know if you saw that essay Todd McCarthy wrote in the Hollywood Reporter, I think it was yesterday, which just narrated his own, his own firing mm-hmm. and by the Hollywood Reporter. And at the very beginning of it, it's a great piece. Everyone should read it. There's a, um, it, it takes you through sort of a, a whirlwind tour of, of a couple of uh, decades of, you know, Hollywood journalism and job security and the job security therein. But at the very beginning, he talks about the fact that he got a raise like two months ago, an unexpected like healthy raise, and now he's out on the street. Now, Jeez. I guess there's some conspiratorial view that like you gave him a raise so that you could put him in a bracket that necessitated his firing. But I think the I think the more li- the the greater likelihood is that the people that are calling for the firings, the people that are mandating the, the layoffs, are not the same people who are in a place to make a judgment call about what your outlet, what your journalism, you know, enterprise even needs. So the idea that they're going to like that the people that someone's going to be reversing course two months from now just because the economy is better. I mean, they they wouldn't have a lot of these layoffs wouldn't have happened if the people that actually had an idea of what they what the production was. A lot of these layoffs, yeah, the layoffs wouldn't even happen if they were aware enough to to look at what they did. You know, so I think it's really unlikely that a lot of the jobs are going to return. Last one here from Alex is Katie Nolan had a cool segment where she and several others at ESPN competed to see. Who could get the most famous person to join their Zoom chat? Who are the most famous oh, yeah. people that Brian and David could get to hop on a random <laughs> Zoom call? Isn't the answer to this Bill? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, it, I don't know that there's anybody that would like immediately answer the phone that would be anywhere near as 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 uh, famous as Bill. I have Carl no. Rove's number. Do you still have Carl Rove's number in your phone? I, had his I don't know if he counts for a anymore. While. <laughs> you have some good you have some good like political and sports contacts i don't know if they'd answer a zoom re- i mean a zoom uh <laughs> request but you, you presumably you get to tell them right i mean you know you're not you don't just send it out and just say hey jump on this at seven o'clock like i don't know i would i would yes i would suggest that the press box listeners go back through the brian curtis oeuvre and just see the names that have appeared more than once i think i think his rolodex we could get us through some tough times if that way if, if, if this game were actually a game of life or death uh, you know, I think that we'd see Bob Costas' face pop up on the Zoom call before in, in relative, <laughs> relatively uh, short. But I don't want to speak for Bob. I don't want to speak for Bob, but if he would he do it, maybe uh, if we ask politely. All right, time for David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline. Tuesday's headline about crossword puzzles was "Here's looking at you, Grid." That's that's great. Today's headline is from Darcy Danaher. It's from the Age, the newspaper in beautiful Melbourne, Australia, one of the best cities in the whole world. Uh, David, Australia is facing the same challenges we are over here. People are going to the beach. They're playing soccer. They're having lunch, despite orders to stay at home and social distance. This headline is really Dada, so it may be impossible to guess. (laughs) But it's based on Winston Churchill's famous, We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches speech. We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches. What was the ages strained pun headline? So people are still going to the beach. Does it matter that it's in Australia? No. We shall fight them on the beaches. Except that, it, except that I don't it's even clever, know this quote. Clever and vaguely, this, uh, British this is the, I just remember there's it's like we shall fight them on the streets and we shall never surrender or something. It's like yeah, you're gonna want to rhyme with beaches, and this is like in the words of a mayor who's trying to enforce the law. We shall fight them on the on the. We shall. This fight is so. This is so. Uh, Fight them on the. God, I really want to say breaches just because it's that you Australia. you got it. Is that we, it? We'll fight them on the breaches, <laughs> says Mayor. All fight right, them on the breaches. 
All right. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. We're back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. And David, let us discuss the plight of the indie bookstore. See you then, my man. See you later, Brian. <laughs>